0: The French leader, Napoleon Bonaparte, achieved major success in in battle, and established a lot of control over Europe. In fact, the majority of Europe. However, Great Britain was still not under his power, and that bothered him. Uh, He desired to have power and control everywhere. Uh, Napoleon implemented some economic type of uh, changes and strategies to press his thumb upon Britain, And Tsar Alexander from Russia began to not comply, didn't like what Napoleon was doing because of the negative effects it was having upon the Russian people. Napoleon had viewed Russia as an ally, but decided that Tsar Alexander needed to learn a lesson. And that lesson was that you do not defy Napoleon. So in 1812, Napoleon gathered a large army, about 650,000 soldiers, to fight against about 200,000 Russians, and they entered Russia in June. Napoleon was expecting a a quick victory because of his confidence uh, in victory. He decided not to bring any winter clothing or supplies for the army. It was summer. He had a huge army. He was Napoleon. There's no way that they're going to be there that long, right? At the beginning, things were going well. The Russians kept retreating and leaving city after city and town after town, and they were burning their crops and burning the towns as they left, and the army eventually made it to Moscow and found that it was burned and uninhabitable. But at this point, there began to be disaster. Winter came early and it was ferocious. The Russian army was prepared for the winter and took advantage of the unprepared French. Napoleon was forced to run back home as there is only a small remnant left of his army, approximately 100,000 of the 650,000 that he began with, and still more would be lost as they traveled back to France. This was the beginning of the end for Napoleon. His reputation was tarnished, but his pride continued to drive him into foolishness and it brought destruction to the army and horrible loss to uh, French families. Pride destroys and and brings death. Pride is sinister, uh, satanic, and we all battle it. If you don't think you have pride, that, that proves that you do. Pride that is not dealt with in our lives will bring destruction into the church and in our families. A major theme in the letter of 3 John is that we are to imitate good, not evil. Being proud is an imitation of the deceiver, Satan himself, as he was proud in his position and desired to take the throne of God. To to imitate good is to imitate God. God. For only God is good. And John writes this letter to encourage the, the church to, and how they treat missionaries and each other as they imitate what is good. So last week in 2 John, we saw John giving instruction of how to treat false teachers, false missionaries. This week, we see how we are to, to treat faithful missionaries. And we're going to consider several characters within 3 John as we look to what. John has to say about imitating good rather than evil. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 3 John again. If you haven't turned there, uh, turn there um, and read with me a short little letter. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you, the friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Lord, as we look at your word, ask that you provide us with eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would have soft hearts uh, that would be drawn towards you as we, as we remember the truth of the gospel amen the ancient historian Eusebius believed that this letter was written after John was released from the island of Patmos if that's true it's likely that this letter is the last book of the bible last book of the new testament that was written uh, john writes to Gaius who it's clear that they have a, a good relationship uh, he calls him beloved several times And this love is based upon the truth. Christians hold to the same knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. So they have the same source of of love. This brings about great unity and love and great fellowship in the truth. Much of last week was about the nature and relationship between love and truth. There is great joy to be had in relationships when the relationship is based upon the truth of the gospel and does not devolve into being based upon other things. True unity and true love is gonna be found in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf, what he's accomplished for his people. John and Gaius have this unity in truth and love. Before commending Gaius in, in several areas of his life, Notice the prayer that John prays for him. Lee's been going through uh, some prayers in the Bible. Uh, this prayer in, in Third John is probably one that we don't think about very often or don't come across, um, but it has some great implications for us to be thinking about. Second, so verse, verse 2 here says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well for your soul. The spiritual state of Gaius' soul was in such good condition and health that John prays for him that his physical health would match that of his spiritual health. It's possible that John was praying this because there may have been some sickness, health issues, but the text doesn't say that. So we don't know if there's anything behind the prayer like that. But we can know is that he has a healthy soul. What is the health of your soul. If someone were to pray for you that you would be as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy, would you end up in the hospital or would would that be a good thing for you? Um, Take some time today to, to think about the health of your soul. Do you have bitterness or resentment in your heart? Is your soul filled with thankfulness and gratitude for who God is and what he's done for you? What kind of speech comes out of your mouth? Are you consistently speaking poorly of others, or are you someone who builds people up in the truth and, and love? Now, allow this prayer of John to open your eyes to the health of your soul and look to Christ to continue to grow in health and strength as you become more like Jesus. The spiritual health of Gaius is illustrated in in three specific ways in this letter. Gaius is someone who who walks in the truth, uh, is a faithful servant, and he's generous. Verses 3 and 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So John's rejoicing because he hears that from these brothers, that Gaius is walking in the truth. Understanding who these brothers are is really important for understanding what's going on uh, for the rest of the letter. Uh, So it's most likely that John has sent these brothers as missionaries or as teachers uh, to the church that Gaius was a part of and that Gaius and others would have housed them and helped them and sent them on their way. Then these brothers return to John and they give him a good report about Gaius and his hospitality, that he's walking in the truth. They also bring a bad report that we'll get to later. These teachers that John had sent speak really well of him. Last week we defined walking in truth and love as someone who is obeying the commandments of God and believing correctly about Jesus. So that's, that describes Gaius. Something that is helpful to remember with this is that people are going to look at your life and you will build a reputation. Gaius had a reputation of being spiritually healthy and practicing what is true and right. This reputation spread as people saw his character and, and commended him. Gaius is being a faithful witness of Christ and how he leads his life, and it shows. Having a a commendable reputation is is a good thing, but it's also important that we do not live in order to have a good reputation with others. Someone who is living to build their reputation among men is someone who can also easily fall into the trap of living for the approval of man, uh, living out of the fear of man. So instead, we're to keep in step with the truth. Sometimes living in the truth will result in others not liking you or speaking ill of you, which we will also see some more of that later on as well. So remember that you will answer to the Lord for how you live your life, and what you say about others, how you treat others. Living life out of our love for the Lord is to be the driving factor of, of why we live life, not, not what others think of us. So John is thrilled to hear the report uh, about Gaius from the brothers and tells Gaius that he has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. It's, it's possible that, that Gaius was converted through the ministry of John. Uh, we don't know for sure, but that may be some of the background of, of their relationship and why he is looking at him as, as a, a, a child, spiritual child uh, to him. This, this brings about a similar question that I asked last week. What is it that brings you the most joy? And I'll ask specifically in regards to, to parents and children as well. What is it that brings you the most joy when it comes to your children? I, I don't typically look at this type of thing, but I, I checked out a few research uh, for some statistics on parenting If their research is correct, it's really sad, Um, only 35% of the parents in the study that I looked at uh, said that it was extremely or very important to them that their children have the same religious beliefs as their own, only 35%. What that means is that there's a lot of parents out there who are finding their greatest joy when it comes to their kids in something other than following Christ. That's a tragedy. Yes, of course, there are other things that we want for our children, like a good job, being independent, being able to take care of themselves, success, even enjoying life. However, these types of things are not the most important things. Our relationship with God is of highest importance. Our children could have all these other things that we wish for them in life, but if they don't have Christ, then it, they're lost. It, it's, it's good for nothing. When it comes to our kids, the conversion of our children and that they would continue to walk in the truth should be the thing that brings the greatest joy to the heart of a parent. Moving from death to life, it, it's, that's eternal impact. This is what's truly important in life. And you as a parent, are responsible to teach your children the truth. But don't forget that it's the Lord who saves your kids. It's not you that saves them. Godly parenting doesn't save anyone, Jesus saves. John continues to commend Gaius, uh, verse five. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Genuine faith will bring about the fruit of genuine works in the life of a believer. Gaius said, taking in these men who he didn't know, uh, and he took care of them. So he took care of strangers this shows a great deal of trust that Gaius has for, for John and sending these men that he didn't know and then he's caring for them. It's a great picture of loving hospitality within the church. And not only for those that, that you know, but also for people that you don't know. John encourages him to continue in his hospitality and to send these men on their way in a manner worthy of God. This encouragement comes within the context of a man who's fighting against John, sending these men to the church. Uh, there is opposition happening when it comes to providing hospitality for these brothers. But these men, were, they're not in ministry for their own name. They're in, the, they're in a ministry for the name of Christ. They're faithful men. Any, any man who goes into ministry for the sake of something other than the name of Christ isn't to be trusted. A man going into ministry must go for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. When there's some other reason that someone goes into ministry, there's sure to be trouble that that follows. Some men may go into ministry because they like the spotlight, they like attention, they like the notoriety, they like the power. Maybe they want people to think that they're smart. The reason for a man to go into ministry is not for the sake of his own name, but to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of damage has come to the church from selfish leaders who are interested in gaining power over people and using their authority to lord it over others. The leaders in the church are meant to point people towards Christ. They are to serve with humble hearts, not being out for the praise of their own name. This is the type of person that these brothers are. They're not looking for money, they're not taking anything from the Gentiles. John says that it's these types of people that the church should support. They are trustworthy. They're not in it for selfish gain. They will be faithful with the support that they receive. In supporting people who are faithfully in the ministry for the sake of the gospel, then the church ends up being fellow workers with them. So I, I want to encourage you as, as a church. Thank you for being a, a generous church. Uh, you give faithfully to ministries like, like New Path and Weekday Religious Education and are generous to the other missionaries that we support. A, a generous heart towards the gospel work. It, it's a sign of a spiritually healthy heart. So I want to encourage you to continue to give to those faithful ministries and as they seek to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and as you do, you become fellow workers with them in the truth. Now, John moves on to a problem in the church. We see how pride has taken root in someone's heart and how it's bringing about difficulty and conflict within the church. Verse 9 I have written something to the church, but Diatriphes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Good grief. It sounds like a mess happening. Um, So John's written something to the church. But this man, Diatryphes, he doesn't acknowledge the authority of John. We don't know exactly who this Diatryphes is or what exactly came about this letter that John had written. It's possible that Diatryphes is a church leader or at least he's someone who's very influential in the church. So he's got some sort of influence and authority. Perhaps what happened is that John sent these brothers to deliver a letter to the church, but Diatriphes would not allow for it to be read to the church because of his distaste for John. When the brothers returned to John, they then relayed to him what was happening in the church. John has commended Gaius in several ways, and now he brings up some negative traits of Diatriphes. So John says that Diatryphes likes to put himself first, so this man has an ego. He's being self-centered, he's being self-seeking. There's a self-promoting attitude that he's engaged in where he likes to place himself into positions of authority so that he can do what he wants. Diatryphes is interested in being in control and serving himself. He's not very interested in serving the church. And I'm sure he would do the things he wanted to do in the name of honoring God and serving the church, even though it was really for his own benefit and glory. He's self-deceived. The type of leadership Diatriphes wanted is not the kind of leadership that Jesus calls us to. A great example of the leadership that Christ calls us to is found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and on. This is where the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes with her sons to Jesus in order to try to get them places of authority in the kingdom. And I'm just going to make two really quick comments about that before looking at what Jesus said afterward. First of all, for mothers and fathers, it's a godly thing to desire blessings for your children. We encourage that. Raise your children to live according to the word of God. At the same time, be careful about controlling and pushing your way. Part of raising your children is that they would be eventually independent and make decisions and seek godly blessings on their own without you controlling that. Secondly, to the kids, specifically the sons here, it's a godly thing for you to listen to your parents and to honor them. We encourage that. If you end up having children, your children will look at how you interact with your family and learn from you what it looks like to have a godly relationship or not with your parents. At the same time, be careful that you're not abdicating your responsibilities of caring for your family by looking to your parents. You're responsible for your life. That doesn't mean that you can't ask for help, but you need to take leadership of your life rather than letting mom and dad run your home leaving and cleaving. The reason why I bring up this dynamic is because the heart of the the self-seeking, self-serving, dominating, lording over type of heart, it's not only a danger to the church, we'll see more of that, how it is a danger to the church, but it can also be a danger to a family as well. When there is someone who is It could be anyone in the family. When there's someone who desires to dominate and push their agenda over people rather than humbly serving and honoring the Lord, it's destructive. Being self-seeking and desiring to place yourself first, it can bring a great deal of division and destruction to the family. So every person in this room needs to be careful. Take a watch over our heart so that We do not become someone who is driven by our own desires, but is instead driven by our love for the Lord. So this is what what Jesus says in in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, "'You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant.'" And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, he he tells his disciples how to be great. Be a servant. And he points to himself as an example. Jesus is truly God and truly man. And yet, he did not come to earth in order for everyone to serve him, but in order that he would sacrificially serve and give his life for many. Out of anybody on earth, Jesus had the right and the authority to call people to serve him. But Jesus humbled himself, served mankind in many ways, primarily his life, death, resurrection, so that sinners can repent and believe, have forgiveness of sin and righteousness of Christ applied to them. An attitude of domineering, looking down upon, jeering, being in disgust. These things are not godly leadership. But instead, humble service. This is what true leadership in the church and in the home is going to look like, a humble service. And part of what's amazing about this is that when someone in the church or in the family serves well, they're exemplifying the the life of Christ they, they end up gaining trust and influence over people in a, in a godly direction. So rather than forcing an agenda or, or forcing your way, have a humble, gracious, and servant heart in order to serve the Lord. Another character trait of Diatriphes is that he does not acknowledge the authority of John or the brothers that John sends to the church. Diatriphes is not someone who submits to authority. He desires to be in authority and have others submit to him. This is one of the reasons why it's important to have an eldership in the church that is made up of more than just one guy because then there's accountability. Everyone has an authority that they must submit to. But Diatriphes is so proud that he isn't interested in the apostolic authority of John. Think about that for the moment, like, Who who does he think he is? John spent a lot of time with Jesus. This attitude of Diatriphes is incredibly foolish. But sin brings about foolishness in us. And the foolishness in our hearts ends up spilling out in the way that we talk about others and the way that we treat others. Look at verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. John makes a point that if he's able to make it, he's going to confront the issue. A strong biblical leader will lovingly, graciously confront those who are living in sin and harming the church. This is necessary for faithful shepherding. I'd like to provide a distinction between confronting sin and accusing someone. Satan is called the accuser. So we don't want to be people who are accusing others because we don't want to imitate Satan. We're called to imitate what is good. But scripture also talks about confronting people in sin, that Jesus did this. So what's the difference between accusing someone and confronting someone? Accusing someone is going to come from a heart that's desiring to dominate and to hurt another person. It's to say that you're in the wrong and are guilty and are in need of some sort of punishment. Accusations fly not to build and restore a relationship, but to bring power, authority, and to bend someone to your will. A godly confrontation of sin is going to be filled with grace and with a desire to see a relationship restored and that person walking in a way that honors God. Restoration and reconciliation is the desire of a godly confrontation of sin, while an accusation is designed to hurt. Diatryphes is talking wicked nonsense against John and the brothers. This is slander, the charges being brought up against John and the brothers are completely false. They're, they're unjustifiable. It's nonsense. We don't know exactly what Diatriphes was saying, but we know it was evil. The desire to be first consumed him so much that anyone who is unable, that he is unable to control, gets this kind of treatment from him. It's the attitude of, if I can't control you, then I will hurt you until you submit to my control. This me-first mentality will end up coming at the expense of others. So beware the power of the tongue. James 3.6 3, says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The sad state of his heart is made known by the way that he speaks about John. And he wasn't simply content to speak this wicked nonsense about other believers, but he also refused to show hospitality to the brothers that John sent. A refusal to listen, and a refusal to show brotherly love. And then he takes it even further. There are people in the church who are showing loving hospitality to these brothers that John sends. And Diatrophes decides to, to place them under church discipline by putting them out of the church. Anybody who does not listen to the authority of Diatrophes is excommunicated. He's, he's on a power trip. Now, a, a, a faithful church will be a church that implements church discipline. However, Church discipline is based upon someone living in active unrepentance. They're someone who refuses to repent. What Diotrephes has done here is to enact church discipline on people who are just not doing what he wants them to do. He disciplines those who disagree with him. The gold standard that Diotrephes is living by is the standard of his own desires. Not God's word. A faithful church will be in submission to the word of God, not our own desires. Then it may come to pass that if someone is living in unrepentant sin, it may come to the point that church discipline would take place, but that will always be over an, over a sin issue and not over just doing something that a leader doesn't like. Diatryphes is leading the church away from showing brotherly love and affection to other Christians as he desires to Lord, uh, his influence over the congregation. This man is in, is in ne- serious need of repentance. We should all take a close and, and careful look at our hearts to see if we act in a similar way to diatriphes. Do you like to put yourself first? Are you put off when others don't do something your way? Do you connect godliness and others with them doing what you want them to do? A prayer for all of us should be, as a church, that we'd continue to grow in, in godliness and humbly submitting ourselves to the Word. That we'd be interested in, in others being godly as, as God defines godliness, not simply what I desire. This is the desire that John has for the church. Verse 11, Beloved, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. The call to imitate good is a call to imitate Christ. Only God is good, and we are to look to him for how we are to live. But in our sin, we we imitate evil. That is why we can say that the sin of pride is, is satanic. Satan wanted to put himself first. This was and is his problem. Uh, He wanted to make his throne to be above God's throne. Uh, That is to place him in the highest authority over all things, including God. John's statement here implies that Diotrephes has never been a Christian. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Diotrephes has fallen into imitating Satan and wanting to place himself first. He has fallen into the lie of making himself his own God and then lording that authority over others. Aware of this temptation. Live your life in humble submission to the Lord. Imitate what is good by imitating Christ, who came as a servant. This phrase, whoever does evil, is similar to what we see in the letter of 1 John, where he writes in chapter 3, verse 8, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Christians sin, but the difference is that Christians fight against their sin in repentance. Someone who is actively living in sin, practicing it, is not someone who has any sort of godly sorrow, godly grief over their sin, but instead enjoys it, is reveling in it. That, that's unrepentance. So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We have a gracious and loving God who provides forgiveness of sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness for those who confess and repent and believe. We see one other character, a man who is worthy of imitation. In verse 12, Demetrius has... Received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. It's likely that Demetrius is the person who's carrying the letter to Gaius. And John commends him as a man who has a good testimony. Does the way you live your life prove a good testimony of Christ and his work in your life? Does the testimony of your life show that when you speak, that you speak the truth? Does what you say hold weight because people know that you're trustworthy? John concludes these remarks about Demetrius by saying that, that Gaius knows that their testimony is true. John's relationship with Gaius is based upon the truth of the gospel that then floods into every other aspect of life. So John knows, or Gaius knows that John is trustworthy because of this. There, there's a, a lot to think about this morning from this little letter. As we leave from here, be reminded of the goodness of God in the gospel. All of us would be like diatriphes if it weren't for the saving work of Christ in our life. Self-centered, self-serving, making ourselves our own God. That's who we were before Christ. Yet Jesus saves us from that. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. He offers his righteousness to those who repent and believe. And so we have this call now as Christians to rather than imitate evil, to turn from that in repentance and imitate good. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you are a good and gracious God. We're grateful that you provide forgiveness of sin, even for sinners like us who had chosen to imitate evil rather than imitating good. Lord, we ask that you'd be working in our hearts and minds, uh, that you would convict us of sin, that you'd provide us with uh, grace to be people who walk in the truth, that we would walk in love, uh, that we would have uh, humble hearts, that we would serve others, uh, that we would not lord over other people, but instead... Uh, would exemplify the, the life of Christ. So Lord, we ask that you'd help us to, to be people who are like that. Uh, we're, we're in desperate need of, of you to change us. Um, we pray this all in your name, amen.